Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, and I am your show host, Christina Francie. And today I am thrilled to be interviewing David Bernstein, who graduated from Albany Medical College and is board certified in international medicine and geriatrics. He is an associate clinical professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of South Florida College of Medicine. He has written three Amazon top 20 books, and today we'll, we will be discussing his book, The Power of Five, The Ultimate Formula for Longevity, Remaining Youthful. David, it is such an honor to have you on. I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. Of course, everyone wants to be youthful forever, and I feel like you may have the secrets for that. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got to the Power of Five book. Well, thank you for inviting me to be on your program today, Christine. I really do appreciate it. I'm so excited because I love sharing something about my life and something about how people can um, live longer, healthier, and happier lives. Um, I grew up on Long Island, and I went to school in the Midwest and medical school in Albany, New York, and ultimately did my internship and residency in South Florida. While I was growing up, I'm the child of a combat wounded World War II veteran who had immigrated to this country, um, and he provided some great examples to me about how to be determined and do things with a purpose. My mom demonstrated her love for her parents, my grandparents, who as they aged, didn't get good health care and medical attention and were kind of kicked to the curb, so to speak. And, and my mom made me promise that I would become a doctor. And when I did, I'd be nice to people, particularly older adults. And at about the time I was about ready to graduate high school, I saw a National Geographic magazine cover, and I was enthralled with the idea that there were, think there were people in the world called centenarians, and those are people who live to be 100. So I studied that. I read it over and over again and decided that if I become a doctor, which I wanted to do very badly, I would be interested in older people, and that would be my passion. And it has been. One other thing happened before I graduated. The commencement speaker had graduated 10 years earlier and became a writer. And that was one more thing I devoted myself to that one day I'm going to become a writer. So I practiced medicine for 40 years. I observed people as they aged, and I came up with some ideas of what led to their successes. And, and that was a topic for my first book. I've got some good news and some bad news. You're old. But then I wanted to delve into what people can do uh, proactively with intention to make their lives longer and healthier. You see, people are living longer in this country, except for the last two years, but they're not necessarily living healthier. Mm -hmm. So it, it, in, in the 1950s, people would retire at 65 and die at 66. But now people are retiring at 65, 70, but living into their late 80s but not necessarily with good health. Mm -hmm. So my objective was to give people ideas of what the formula would be to make their lives healthier and longer, improve their health span, not necessarily their lifespan, but their health span. So after my research and 
figuring out what the most common illnesses are in our country, I discovered that there were three that were most problematic, heart disease, cancer, and neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And nobody wants to get those or any of them for that matter. But Mm. then I said, what what unifies them? How are they all related? And well, they're all related by this underlying chronic condition that people suffer from called inflammation. And inflammation is like when you get a splinter in your finger, you know, it gets all red and pussy Mm -hmm. until you take the splinter out. Well, that's the body's way of protecting itself. Uh, But it causes inflammation. And inflammation is what leads to heart disease, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases. And so the next part of my discovery was, what was it? What were the things that contribute to inflammation? How can I make this palatable and uh, achievable for most people? So I I went to work, I made my little diagrams and found out that there were five things. And I always do things in fives because I think people can remember them. The five fingers in my hand, five family members, my favorite sport was basketball, five players, five senses. So I stick with five. And then I wanted to make it even easier. I made them all start with the letter S. So for your listeners today or our listeners today, I'm going to talk about five S's. And those are five things that we can do or modify in our lives that we can be healthier. So the first is avoid sweets, sugar, sweets, carbohydrates, starches. Those create inflammation in our body. Mm -hmm. They're also really hazardous for people who have dementia because sugar in your brain is an unhealthy situation. So the second one was stress. We all know about stress. Everybody has some element of stress, but stress releases a hormone in our body called cortisol, another factor that creates inflammation, blood vessel disease, brain disease, cancer, all related to inflammation. And people think that genes are what determines how long you live. Well, it may occur, it may account for 20 or 25%, but it's our lifestyle that accounts for most of it. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things that people would benefit from modifying and avoiding as much as possible. Yeah, I agree. Sugar and stress, which is, I feel like in, you know, in the United States, a lot of people consume a lot of sugars, candies, things in the checkout aisles and stress, you know, we're trying to live this like American lifestyle and it can be stressful on people like financial stresses you have family stresses. Um, so it really can take a burden on like your physical health. I totally agree. So, so those are the things that people can work on avoiding and, you know, you can avoid some of the sugar and, and we get addicted to sugar at very early ages. People, um, the, the grocery stores sell things to kids to get them sugar addicted mm-hmm. cereals, uh, candy, and, and parents are well served to try and modulate that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, what we can do about stress is we could either quit our job, quit our family, or learn how to meditate or be mindful. Exactly. And so being mindful and meditating can be some really helpful things for people. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the things that you can do that you don't have to avoid. Well, one would be get more sweat, exercise. So um, recommendations from the government are 150 minutes a week, which is 30 minutes Uh, five times a week, 
Um, the sweet spot may be more like 450 minutes a week, which is 90 minutes, five days a week or spread out over time. And you can get lots of credit for all kinds of activity that you do. So it's not always sweat exercise, but it could be walking and, and other things and, and incorporate different things because you want to make your muscles stronger. So strength training and you want to work on your balance. So, so things like yoga and Tai Chi and, um, Pilates. Those are some of the things that you incorporate some interaction with other people, which is good. And then you get some flexibility and strengthen your muscles. So those are all really important things. And exercise is the best antidepressant that's ever been created. Mm -hmm. And it also isn't, is it's not very well known, but it reduces the risk of cancer occurrence by 35%. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. I mean, I know it's really good to release endorphins. It's a great way to manage stress and um, just make you feel good overall. It's really great to move your body, but I did not know that. Thank you. for so, Christina, you're really up to date on a lot of this stuff. I'm so <laughs> proud of you because as I mentioned earlier to you off air, it's never too early or never too late to start on my power of five formula because studies have been done on people, even in their sixties, when they adopt the lifestyles that we're talking about, it could add years to their lives. And so these things are validated. They're scientifically based and 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 really neat. And, and, and people just need to be proactive and intentionally incorporate them. Mm -hmm. So I think we're up to my fourth S. Yes. We're avoid sweets, avoid stress, get more sweat, sleep. Sleep is incredibly important. And I, and I can tell you as an internist and geriatrician, seeing patients, particularly in the last 10 years, um, who had some really bad sleeping habits, and there was an awful lot of a condition known as sleep apnea. Mm. Now, 10, 15 years ago, and at the beginning part of my training 40 years ago, we didn't know much about it. But I started observing my patients, and I was amazed at how many people had this problem. I was amazed at how good I got at diagnosing people and that I jokingly say I was able to make the diagnosis before my chair got warm after I sat down in the room with them. <laughs> because um, they, tend to, they, they tend to be overweight and fat around their midsection. They tend to have very large necks, like an 18-inch neck, which is not huge. like because of the thyroid? Does it have to do with the thyroid or is it just an no, inflammation? No, fat in your neck. Oh, it's just being fat. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but it also has to do with fat at the base of your tongue. Mm -hmm. So you can look in someone's mouth and see that there's not an open airway for air to go over your tongue. And so when people relax or when they drink alcohol in the evening, their tongue relaxes and it, it obstructs air going into their air passage. Mm. So uh, it was a trick of mine that I was able to kind of look around the room and look at the patient, look at their medicines and say, well, there's a pretty good likelihood that they they snore. And I never asked them if they snore. I would just ask them how badly they snore. Yeah. And if, the, if there was a spouse in the room, they'd look at one another and say, like, don't you tell them. <laughs> but, you know, with, they, the spouse would usually go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He snores a lot. How'd you know, doc? Well, I know by looking at them and there's a pretty good likelihood with those health conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes and atrial fibrillation, that's a really good likelihood that they had sleep apnea. And and sleep apnea it, uh, deprives the brain of oxygen at night. 
so that you're constantly waking up and you wake up in a bad mood and you're tired and then you get grumpy during the day and then you get hungry because your your other ghrelin and leptin hormones are are out of whack and then you don't eat well and then you gain more weight and your sleep apnea gets worse and you get in a fight with your spouse and then you drink yeah, it's and just eat. a vicious cycle a very vicious cycle so I have some recommendations and they're easily available all over the internet about getting a good night's sleep. It's what we call sleep hygiene, making sure your your bedroom is your haven for sleep. Sleep and sex is what happens in the bedroom, but no eating or smoking or watching TV or working on your computer in your bedroom. These mm -hmm. are all things that will make your brain think that, oh, this is a room that I can sleep in, but also I can watch TV and I can eat and the hell with the heck with, you know, sleep. I, I got other things that I can do in this room. Your, your brain gets attuned to that and you want to tune your brain to doing what it's supposed to do in the bedroom. And so getting seven or eight hours of sleep is really important. And in this world of a lots of stress and, and people carrying around their, their smartphones into their bedroom, mm -hmm. um, it detracts from that good night's sleep. Yeah, no, and I've all of that. us. And all of us know what a bad night's sleep is like, is like right, Christina? I'm oh, sure yeah. Have... I have kids waking me up all the time. I mean, I think I sometimes get only four hours. I mean, I'm constantly like woken up through the night in my sleep with my little ones, but it, I know it, it's just a phase. I think I will get my, my better slumber soon once they get a little older. But you're right. And you know how you feel when you get a bad night's sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And so we've covered four of my five, avoid stress, avoid sweets, avoid stress, get more sleep, sweat. And number five is sex, mm -hmm. get more sex. Now, Different generations look at this differently. Um, if you're a parent of toddlers and young kids, you probably don't want to hear about it anymore. But um, in my generation, baby boomer generation, sex was a thing that was talked about and 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 was very commonplace to have those kind of discussions. Mm -hmm. But sex isn't really only about the intimate part. You're intimate with your partner, you're, but but you have this friendship and these bonds with your your family and your friends and different so, social circles, and so the it's about socialization, connections, and intimacy. But what's the opposite of intimacy? Loneliness. Yeah, I was gonna say like not having intimacy. <laughs> yeah, that would be the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so so the opposite in, of of intimacy is loneliness. And that's now considered a health hazard. Yeah. It was it, the, the writings in the society about loneliness began before the pandemic. And it clearly got worse after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So what happens? Well, some of the same inflammatory components get released during when people are lonely. So they're more apt to have uh, inflammation in their body. They're more apt to have shorter life expectancies. They're more apt to be depressed. Mm -hmm. And loneliness and being alone are not equivalent because some people can be really happy when they're alone, but being lonely is like getting separated from your tribe. Yeah. It's like being at a cocktail party and looking around and saying, I know all these people, but they don't know me. And, and I don't really feel comfortable in this environment. These are these are not my people. These are not my tribe. So people can even be in those situations, but still very lonely. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that health hazard. Mm -hmm. 
And it's pretty easy because I mentioned, you know, you can exercise and that's how you get your sweat and, and you can work on your sleep, which is a big issue for me after being a doctor for 40 years and getting awakened at night a lot, you know, and you get a little older and your back hurts and um, people don't sleep as well. But what about the loneliness part? Yeah. And it sounds very contrived, but people will benefit from making friends, from being sociable. Yeah. And women have a tendency to do this better than men. So um, you may observe that in your life and what you do, that you're the social calendar person. Yeah. But that's my role. (laughs) It's the role of many women because men abrogate that. However, making those connections and having people in your lives uh, is important. And, and in my time in my life now, I've gone out and made friends with people because it's good for my health. It's yeah. good to people. I've I've enjoyed those relationships that I've developed with, with my male friends in the last few years. It takes an effort. It takes, it's, it's responsible, being responsible for your health. Yeah. So that's a really important thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. We are, we're we're social beings and we need to be social. It's part of our genetic makeup. So it is extremely important for us to be social. And in today's society, how things are set up, like even our children today are like stuck playing video games or on their iPad. Like it's very isolating and, you know, people aren't interacting as they used to. Now people text message more than like have a phone call, which there's a huge difference between text messaging and and hearing someone's voice on the other end of the phone. Um, So I think it is really important. And now more than ever, people need to really step out of their comfort zone to get out there and and to meet people and to socialize, Um, especially, you know, kind of the way we are living our lives now with all these technology and, and everything. So I think it's important. So that's a great reminder for people. And you're so right. So it means things like some of the things you mentioned, but also for women who are getting older or even younger and they want to do something, they can join a group of women who play cards or mahjong or or, or play in a tennis league or bowling. And men can do the same thing with golf or bowling or um, join a photography club, something where you're interacting with other people. Yeah. And it takes an effort, just like all the other four items, they require intention and an effort. Yeah. And and I see that component of this lacking in our society that it's just too easy to pick up your your smartphone and and get into that and and not exercise and not do the kind of things you want to do yeah. um, and that are healthy for people. Well, yeah, and also the flip side of it that the internet can bring people together because you can search for those. Um, groups that you want to join you know there are things it's just how are you how are you utilizing the technology because you can utilize it to to be isolating for yourself just scrolling through the social medias and stuff or you can use it to like the meetup apps to actually try and find a community to be a part of so you know it's like a dual it's like a dual thing it's it's a benefit but then it can also be a destroyer you're so right and and it's it, it's, but the whole point of it, like you said, is it takes intention. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it takes the female in the relationship to say, go out and make some friends. 
to, yeah. the, to the husband um, or go out and do this or let's do this with those people because that's a potential friend of yours and and that would be part of our our connections or uh, let's go to these social gatherings because it's important for both of us to get out and away from the kids at home and and do things that are healthy for us all yeah no i think that those five things are simple and they're doable for anyone to accomplish in in their life if they are intentional about wanting to have that longevity and be and at the end of your after retirement and live long in a healthy way because like you said earlier and in the interview, we, a lot of people are living longer, but they're not living healthier. They're on these, all these medicines, they have dementia, you know, cancers, like they're just not living healthy, long lives. They're just existing in the body that they're in and just trying to like maintain life uncomfortably. Does that make sense? It's exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what, what happens. And, and, um, toward that end, my wife and I got together and we put together a, um, a journal for people to keep track of their their intentions with regard to the power of five. So every day, and, and you don't have to buy my journal, but you keep track. I did my five S's today, or well, I was a little short. I didn't get enough sleep. So I get four out of five of my S's, but keeping track of them, having a a buddy to do it with. Hey, yeah. how did you do on your five today? Yeah, I was a little off on my what I ate. There was a party and they brought pizza and whatever those things are. Yeah. Where you can keep track of them and write them down because that's been found to be an important component of how people uh, are able to stick with their goals and, and what they want in life. Perfect. So where can people purchase this book? My book is available on my website, and I'll mention my website a few times. It's Power of Five, the number five, life.com. And it's available there, and it's available on Amazon. And I, also on my website, I've just recently released a online five-hour course regarding the Power of Five. And when people visit my website, they can select any one of three free options for themselves. My book, my mini book called The Power of, uh, my mini book called Notes on Living Longer, but also my wife, Melissa Bernstein, has produced two seasonal recipe books. They're short recipe books, but great for the holiday season with uh, very healthy options uh, and healthy meal selections from start to finish. So um, my wife is a very busy chef at home and I'm her taste tester every day. And um, I love that part of my job and creating those things and creating a life better for better people uh, to better their lives. Well, I love that. And I can totally sense your passion about it. And this was such a fruitful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your five secrets on how to live longer and youthful lives. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Book Smarts, Authors on Show. And thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Smarts, Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.